So day 337, the beginning of week 49, and we continue through 2 Corinthians um, before a little bit of Acts again, and then we go into Galatians. But we begin at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, and we read to the end. I have become a fool, you forced it on me. I ought to have been recommended by you, since I am no way inferior to the super-apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of an apostle were performed among you in all endurance, not only signs, but also wonders and miracles. So in what way were you treated worse than the other churches, except that I personally did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Look, I am ready to come to you this third time. I will not burden you, for I am not seeking what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now granted, I have not burdened you, yet sly as I am, I took you in by deceit. Did I take advantage of you by anyone I sent you? I urged Titus to come and I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Didn't we walk in the same spirit and in the same footsteps? You have thought all along that we were defending ourselves to you. No, in the sight of God we are speaking in Christ, and everything, dear friends, is for building you up. For I fear that perhaps when I come I will not find you to be what I want, and I may not be found by you to be what you want. There may be quarrelling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I fear that when I come my God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who sinned before, and have not repented of the uncleanness, sexual immorality and promiscuity they practised. This is the third time I am coming to you. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word will be confirmed. I gave warning and I give warning, as when I was present the second time, so now while I am absent. To those who sinned before and to all the rest, if I come again I will not be lenient, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. He is not weak toward you, but powerful among you. In fact, he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by God's power. For we also are weak in him. Yet toward you we will live with him by God's power. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognise for yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you feel the test? And I hope you will recognise that we are not feeling the test. Now we pray to God that you do nothing wrong, not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you, you may do what is right, even though we may appear to feel. For we are not able to do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. In fact, we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray for this, your maturity. This is why I am writing these things while absent, that when I am there I will not use severity, in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Be restored and encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Then we read Acts chapter 20 verses 2 and 3. And when he had passed through those areas and exhorted them at length, he came to Greece and stayed three months. When he was about to set sail for Syria, a plot was devised against him by the Jews. So a decision was made to go back through Macedonia. And then we read Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 3 verse 29. 
Paul an apostle, not from man or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you, and want to change the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to win the favour of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on a human point of view. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former ways of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people, because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. And then we jump from verse 16 in chapter 1 through to verse 20. Now in what I write to you I am not lying, God is my witness. Afterwards I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognised as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This issue arose because of false brothers smuggled in, who came in secretly to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not yield in submission to these people for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain for you. But from those recognised as important, what they really were makes no difference to me, God does not show favouritism, those recognised as important added nothing to me. And then we jump from verse 6 of chapter 2 through to verse 15, and go from verse 15 of chapter 2 through to verse 29 of chapter 3. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law but by faith in Christ Jesus. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no human being will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found to be sinners, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law I have died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Jesus Christ has vividly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you not going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, so understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and foretold the good news to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside even a human covenant that has been ratified or makes additions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but and to your seed, referring to one who is Christ. And I say this, the law which came 430 years later does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by God, so as to cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise, but God granted it to Abraham through the promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was ordered through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would certainly be by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for all of you are one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And there we end, day 337. Day 338, and we continue and finish off Galatians, and then move into the book of Romans. And we begin today at chapter 4, verse 1 of Galatians. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. 
But when the completion of the time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. But in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that were by nature are not God's. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You observe special days, months, seasons and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labour for you has been wasted. I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you in physical weakness. And though my physical condition was a trial for you, you did not despise or reject me. On the contrary, you saved me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What happened to this blessedness of yours? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so you will become enthusiastic about them. Now, it is always good to be enthusiastic about good, and not just when I am with you. My children, again I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you. I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things are illustrations for the woman represent the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery, that is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not give birth. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labour. For the children of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit, so also now. But what does the scripture say? Throughout the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Christ has liberated us into freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit again to your yoke of slavery. Take note. I, Paul, tell you that if you get circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets circumcised that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For by the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who called you. A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. In the Lord I have confidence in you that you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is who is troubling you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. 
I wish those who are disturbing you might also get themselves castrated. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, Love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar about which I tell you in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he is deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone, and not in respect to someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. The one who has taught the message must share his goods with the teacher. Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, however they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. May peace be on all those who follow this standard, and mercy also be on the Israel of God. From now on let no one cause me trouble, because I carry the marks of Jesus on my body. Brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Then we read Romans chapter 1 verse 1 through to verse 32 to finish today. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was established as the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. We have received grace and apostleship through him 
to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of his name, including yourselves who are also Jesus Christ by calling, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the good news of your faith is being reported in all the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit, in telling the good news about his Son, is my witness that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now I want you to know, brothers, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. From the creation of the world his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals and reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions, for even their females exchanged natural sexual intercourse for what is unnatural. The males in the same way also left natural sexual intercourse with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their perversion. And because they did not think it worthwhile to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, disputes, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but even applaud others who practice them. And there we end, day 338. Day 339, as we continue through Romans, reading from chapter 2, verse 1, through to chapter 5, verse 21. Therefore any of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think, any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? 
Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your hardness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by patiently doing good seek for glory, honour and immortality, but wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth but are obeying unrighteousness. Affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew and also the Greek. There is no favouritism with God. All those who sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all those who sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be declared righteous. So when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively do what the law demands, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences testify in support of this, and their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Now if you call yourself a Jew and rest in the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the full expression of knowledge and truth, you then who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will his uncircumcision not be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who fulfills the law, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from men, but from God. So what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. What then? If some did not believe, will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. God must be true, but everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I use a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how would God judge the world? But if by my lie God's truth is amplified to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim we say, let us do evil so that good may come? Their condemnation is deserved. What then, are we any better? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin, as it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no flesh will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, that is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. He presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is the boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works of law. Or is God for Jews only? Is he not also for Gentiles? Yes, for Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then cancel a law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then can we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. How happy those whose lawless acts are forgiven, and whose sins are covered! How happy the man whom the Lord will never charge with sin! Is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it credited, while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, not only to those who are circumcised, but also to those who follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is cancelled. For the law produces wrath, but where there is no law there is no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of Abraham's faith, 
He is the father of us all in God's sight. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Against hope, with hope he believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what has been spoken, so will your descendants be. He considered his own body to be already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, because he was fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore it was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was credited to him and was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And also through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men, because all sinned. In fact, sin was not in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to one man's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a prototype of the coming one. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if by the one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there we end, day 339.
Day 340, and we continue through Romans, reading from chapter 6, verse 1, through to chapter 8, verse 39. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies, death no longer rules over him. For in all that he died, he died to sin once for all, but in that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Absolutely not. Do you not know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to, and having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. And what fruit has produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now since you have been liberated from sin and become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Since I am speaking to those who understand law, brothers, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. Then, if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law, through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old letter of the law. 
What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognised as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we knew that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do good, evil is with me. For in my inner self I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in flesh like ours, under sin's dominion and as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those whose lives are according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh, but those whose lives are according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Those whose lives are in the flesh are unable to please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. 
for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, saying that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have this spirit, as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also joins us to help in our weaknesses, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will we not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there we end, day 340. Day 341, as we continue through Romans, beginning today at chapter 9, verse 1, and then finishing off today at chapter 11, verse 36. I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience is testifying to me with the Holy Spirit, that I have intense sorrow and continual anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the benefit of my brothers, my countrymen by physical descent. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The forefathers are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, came the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed for ever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, 
for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. On the contrary, in Isaac your seed will be called. That is, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered seed. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but also when Rebekah became pregnant by Isaac our forefather, for though they had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works but from the one who calls. She was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, For this reason I raised you up, so that I may display my power in you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he shows mercy to whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. You will say to me, therefore, Why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, anyone who talks back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did he make me like this? Or has the potter no right over his clay, to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honour, and another for dishonour? And what if God, desiring to display his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much patience objects of wrath ready for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory, on us whom he also called, not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles? As he also says in Hosea, I will call not my people my people, and she who is unloved beloved. And it will be in the place where they were told, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. But Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of Israel's sons is like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will execute his sentence completely and decisively on the earth. And just as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, namely the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, pursuing the law for righteousness, has not achieved the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, Who will go up to heaven? That is, to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how welcome are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. But all did not obey the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the inhabited world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel he says, All day long I have spread out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says in the Elijah section how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, tore down your altars, and I am the only one left, and they are trying to take my life. But what was God's reply to him? I have left seven thousand men for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way, then, there is also at the present time a remnant chosen by grace. Now if by grace, then it is not by works, otherwise grace ceases to be grace. What then? Israel did not find what it was looking for, but the elect did find it. The rest were hardened, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear to this day. And David says, let their feasting become a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent continually. I ask then, have they stumbled so as to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, by their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now if their stumbling brings riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. In view of the fact that I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if I somehow can make my own people jealous and save some of them. For if their being rejected is world reconciliation, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now if the first fruits offered up were holy, so was the whole batch. And if the root is holy, so were the branches. Now if some of the branches were broken off and you though a wild olive branch were grafted in among them, and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not brag that you are better than those branches. But if you do brag, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off by unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches... He will not spare you either. Therefore, consider God's kindness and severity. 
severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off, and even they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in, because God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from your native wild olive, and against nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So that you will not be conceited, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Regarding the gospel, they are enemies for your advantage, but regarding election, they are loved because of their forefathers, since God's gracious gifts and calling are irrevocable. As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, so they too have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also now may receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments, and untraceable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Or who has ever first given to him, and has to be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory for ever. Amen. And there we end, day 341. Day 342, we continue again through Romans from chapter 12, verse 1, through to chapter 15, verse 33. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Love must be without hypocrisy. To test evil, cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honourable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, 
Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals in his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do good, and you will have its approval. For government is God's servant to you for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's public servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honour to those you honour. Do not owe anyone anything, except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and if there is any other commandment, all are summed up by this. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Love, therefore, is the fulfilment of the law. Besides this, Knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake from sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the daylight is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarrelling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not criticise one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticise another's household slave? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person considers one day to be above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is to the Lord that he does not eat. Yet he thanks God. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you criticise your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore let us no longer criticise one another, but instead decide not to put a stumbling block or pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, 
you are no longer walking according to love. By what you eat, do not destroy that one for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine, or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have faith? Keep it to yourself before God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that is not from faith is sin. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbour for his good in order to build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written before was written for our instruction, so that through our endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. Now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you agreement with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. Therefore accept one another, just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. Now I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises to the fathers and so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing psalms to your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord all you Gentiles, all the peoples should praise him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, my brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you are also a full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, to remind you, I have written to you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news. My purpose is that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God, for I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Alisarium. So my aim is to evangelise where Christ has not been named, in order that I will not be building on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, those who had no report of him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these provinces, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I do hope to see you when I pass through, and to be sent on my way there by you, once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am travelling to Jerusalem to serve the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. 
Yes, they were pleased and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to Jews in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I implore you, brothers, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to agonize together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. The God of peace be with all of you. Amen. And there we end, day 342. Day 343, the last day of week 49, and also the last day, the last part of Romans before we go back into Acts. And so we finish Romans, reading from chapter 16, verse 1, through to verse 27, and then we pick up again from Acts chapter 20. But first we read Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Cesarene. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Give my greetings to Prissa and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epatheteus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andraconus and Junia, my fellow countrymen and fellow prisoners. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Greet Amplatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Sastrus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Astrobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow countryman. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in, in the Lord. Greet Typhronia and Tyrophosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asenertris, Felgon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. Now I implore you, brothers, watch out for those who cause dissensions and pitfalls contrary to the doctrine you have learned. Avoid them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattering words they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The report of your obedience has reached everyone, therefore I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good, yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who penned this epistle in the Lord, greet you. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quatarus, greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now to him who has power to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the sacred secret, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, 
according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith among all nations, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Then we read from Acts chapter 20, as that finishes Romans. We read from Acts chapter 20, verse 4, through to chapter 21, verse 26. He was accompanied by Solpater, son of Pharaoh, from Beroa, Aristocrus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy and Titius and Trophimus from Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. In five days we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. On the first day of the week we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he extended his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a window sill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on speaking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, threw himself on him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. After going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, he conversed a considerable time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Then we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, from there intending to take Paul on board, for these were his instructions since he himself was going by land. When he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytlion. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios. The following day we crossed over to Samos, and the day after we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so he would not have to spend time in the province of Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible for the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, and when they came to him he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, and that I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable, or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town the Holy Spirit testifies me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I count my life of no value to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will ever see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of everyone's blood, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men from among yourselves will rise up with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years I did not stop warning each of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands have provided for my needs and for those who were with me. 
In every way I have shown you that by labouring like this it is necessary to help the weak, and to keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, for he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There was a great deal of weeping by everyone, and embracing Paul they kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. After we tore ourselves away from them and set sail, we came by a direct route to Kos, the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre, because the ship was to unload its cargo there. So we found out some disciples and stayed there seven days. They said to Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were over, we left to continue our journey while all of them, with their wives and children, escorted us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said goodbye to one another. Then we boarded the ship and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Potlamas, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them one day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into Gentile hands. When we heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we stopped talking and simply said, The Lord's will be done. After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us to Masnon, a Cypriot and an early disciple with whom we were to stay. When we reached Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us gladly. The following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one what God did among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all, all, ze- all zealous, zealous, but they have been told about you that you teach all those who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses by telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk in our customs. So what is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore do what we tell you. We have four men who have obligated themselves with a vow. Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then the next day Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering for each of them would be made. And there we end day 343 and week 49.